1: Welcome everyone to today's episode of Getting In A College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For my second segment, I'll be talking with Karen Spencer, college coach veteran and former admission officer at Georgetown University about questions not to ask an admissions counselor. We'll have some good insights for you on the questions that drive admission counselors crazy. For my third and last segment, I'll be talking with college finance consultant Shannon Vasconcelos, former financial aid officer at Boston University. We'll be discussing how much families should save for college. But for my first segment, Julia Jones and I, Julia is also a college coach veteran and former admission officer at Brandeis. Um, she and I will be going over services that colleges offer offered to students with learning disabilities. Welcome, Julia. Hey, Sally. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. So let's let's kind of um let's dig right into this. What are sort of let's start with the basic kinds of services that colleges might offer. Like the colleges that really do the minimum because I think it's I think it's really important for families to know that the minimum required of colleges can be very very different from the minimum required of high schools. The obligations are much much lower when it comes to colleges.
2: Well, that's true. It's true. I mean, I think that you know all colleges are required by you know by law, but it's the there's a higher an opportunity act of I think 2008 that was kind of you know uh, created or updated to, to really mandate that all schools have to have a disabilities office. All schools have to provide what they call reasonable accommodations for, for students with with a learning disability. Um, but the reasonable in if you know in air quotes here <laughs> is kind of what um, what can can vary from school to school. Um, and so, you know, you, the, you, when you send them your documentation, when you send them, uh, once you've been admitted and are enrolling, that's when you would, you know, send them all of um, what, you know, what your, um, your documentation recommends for, for accommodations, and then they will look to, to see how they can meet it. But you're right, some schools do it, have, have much more uh, in-depth programs than others. Um, so, you know, in terms of the, the kinds of, of accommodations, um, you know, it really will vary, obviously, based on what you have, what your, your disability is, but sometimes it can be, um, you know, modifying the, the level of the course instruction. Um, so, kind of looking at perhaps alternative forms of, of um, coursework or testing. Um, sometimes it can involve kind of assistive um, or adaptive technology or software. Um, for example, students who may maybe have uh, dyslexia, um, you know, they're are talking word processors teach-to-text programs, um, other other computer programs that really help students process text more easily. Um, You know, they may allow or or, um, help students to to provide recording devices or um, assistance in note-taking. Sometimes the accommodations are are more physical, sort of, you know, classroom accommodations, so maybe providing students with more accessible seating if they need to be um, there or giving them perhaps a quiet classroom um, to take. Take exams. Um, uh, in many cases, they may provide additional time for for taking tests, or even or the opportunity to take an oral examination. Um, and some schools go even further, and you know they may have kind of weekly meetings with a counselor, um, may allow for reduced course load or waiving certain requirements depending on you know on on what the recommendations may be. Um, and I've even in researching looked at some schools that you know they have full on kind of wellness. Centers where they also provide, you know, all sorts of tutoring and um, assistive technology centers, counseling services. Um, So, so that's a pretty. It runs the gamut from the bare, the bare minimums where you might get, you know, just some extended time or maybe some some access to technology to. To a huge range of um, of different uh, different uh, types of services, uh, and that's and that's part of the research process for students is to figure out what you know what's going to be the best fit for you in terms of that.
1: Yeah, because I I mean I'll say that when I worked and, and I imagine that these schools have improved, um, so I do want to say that. Uh, but when I worked at Reed and University of Chicago, I would put them into the category of schools that provided really the minimum that was required. And so, you know, students, I mean, extended time was not a big deal, um, you know, using a computer in class, certainly an accommodation that could be made, that sort of thing. But it was pretty, uh, and a quiet place to take tests was ap- was actually not particularly a big deal either, because actually at Reed, most tests were take home anyway, so that wasn't a big deal. Um. But uh, but it was, you know, I would say it was pretty minimal. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about was not acknowledged. And I'll just, I'm going to out my stepmother here. I have, uh, my stepmother used to be a professor, and I won't say what school she was at. And she was complaining about um, a student's requesting extended time because it hadn't been the case. She's she's retired, you know, but obviously yeah. this wasn't the case at the beginning of her career. So she's like, why do all these kids suddenly have ADD. So I had to kind of mm-hmm. lecture her about the fact that this is a <laughs> real thing and that these students yeah. are smart kids. They just need, this is a pretty minimal accommodation to make. Um, so I know that it, and I'll say that she worked at a highly selective university, so I know that at least at some of these schools, the professors might give you a little side eye. When you request, yeah. I have a feeling that my stepmother used to do that. Even I mean, I certainly liked her, but she was a, a strict professor kind of person. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I really do like to emphasize to students that these differences are there. And in some yeah. cases, the more selective colleges might be the worst in some ways.
2: And I think that's probably a fair assumption. I mean, I think that, you know, the expectations are higher for students um, at, at the more selective universities. So, um, you know, they do provide accommodations. But I also think that the expectation that, you know, students are really, you know, going to have to really advocate for themselves um, is, is definitely greater at, you know, at those schools where, you know, you have to really, in some ways, prove yourself and, and, and you know, show that that um, and, and really seek things out, too. Whereas some schools that have perhaps more formal programs are more robust programs Um, i think students still obviously are need to to learn how to advocate for themselves because that's always going to be the case but but it's definitely i think a more um more open environment for that and and more more accepted um in general by professors as well as administrators
1: Mm -hmm. so how how can students research or find out about the level of services that might be available to them
2: um, I think that, you know, part of it is in some ways, you know, by looking to see what the college themselves um, report and how they present it um, can sometimes tell you a lot about, um, you know, how 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 wide-ranging their, their offerings are going to be. You know, some, as I said, all colleges have to have a disabilities office, uh, but sometimes, you know, some are harder to find, you know, just trying to find access or being able to get to that, um, you know, that the phone number or the email address of the person in charge, you know, and some places it's it's kind of well hidden, and, and so they obviously that tech can tell you something right off the bat. You know, some schools have you know very much you know it's a big part of it's a part of their website, and you can see what they offer, and and um, and even meet arrange to meet with someone um, while you're visiting the campus too. Um, and and it's important to note that you can do or you know reach out to them, and this is before the application process, and that doesn't necessarily put a mark on your application either. So um, so I think so it's in part doing a little bit of of, you know, re- reconnaissance and, and, you know, and, and thinking about how how they're presenting their, their own programs, which can tell you a little bit about the value and and the scope that they place on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't uh, – you and I did a segment about whether you should disclose or not, and so we're yeah. not going to talk about this here, but for listeners, I just wanted to know you can look it up. I can't remember the date, um, but the one of the great call. things – yeah, yeah, last fall, um so fall two thousand and sixteen. But one of the things I wanna emphasize is that if you talk to people in the learning support services office, they can often tell you whether it might actually be a good idea to disclose or maybe where it's not gonna help you. So that's just one little tip that I, I think is worth giving today. But so it seems like first and foremost you're really advocating that students before they even submit an application while they're researching the school, they talk to the student services office. So they go, they go to the website certainly, but they go beyond that as well.
2: Yeah. I, so, especially if you know if that's going to be a big part, you know, if you think about what's what it's what's an important driver or factor, and for many students, obviously, you want to be in a place where you are going to be, you know, given the tools and the opportunity to be as successful as possible. So, um, it's you know, I think that that means not just looking at um, the dorms and not just looking at you know um, the the courses offered in your major, but obviously looking at at the the um, you know the the resources that you're going to be able to have access to. So, so trying to find you know find ways whether it's you know talking to someone which I think is always the best way to get to get your questions answered or you know again some schools have a lot of really good detail on their websites about um, about their programs as well so um, and sometimes if you're going to a school for an open house program sometimes that will be part of it they may have representatives there from those from that department so that can be a way to um, you know to get to know the school as well so so it's you know really trying to to you know, to determine to determine that I think the other way to think about it is in terms of the type of school that you may be looking at. Um, You know, for some students... Um, they are, they thrive, you know, for students who may have a learning disability, whether it's ADHD or, um, or dyslexia or, you know, a, a different, you know, all different types of things. They, you know, they may find that smaller classes, um, you know, a place where advising is, you know, is, is that they have a really strong advising programs for all students. Those can also be really, you know, helpful factors to really putting together a list of, of schools that make sense that where, where the student's going to be most successful. Um, that's not to say that larger schools... Don't have great support systems. In fact, there are quite a few that do, um, but um, but I think sometimes that you know that alone. As you're starting to identify, as we as we talk about all the time on this program, you know what makes a good a school a good fit. What are what's that sort of um, winning combination of schools that of elements of a college that's going to be the best fit for you. For many students, that, that comes into play when it comes to learning style and, you know, and support that you, you know, support systems on, on campus, both in terms of formal learning disability support, but also um, just in, in terms of the atmosphere um, and attitude and, and type of school that you're looking at.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, I sent a student with pretty severe ADD, um, but you know he he sort of figured it out in high school. Was becoming a stronger student. Um, He went off to, and I'm going to name this school because I think they did a great job, and I love this school, um, University of Puget Sound, in Tacoma, Mm -hmm. Washington. And I mean, they again, like many colleges, their services have probably improved. I mean, I worked with this student like 10 years ago, and what they said, uh, what his parents told me, is that they really just sort of had one woman running the office but you know he thought she was great he could you know he'd go hang out in her office and chat with her when he needed it he would take his tests in there she had a quiet room for students so even though you know if you looked at their website you wouldn't have found anything in the way of sort of like a formalized program it was such a nice small intimate community where everybody knew everybody and you know certainly she knew all the faculty that um You know, it just was like a very, it ended up being a very, very comfortable place for him. So I think that that's important too, you know, and, and, um, you know, they had lots of support services for all their students. And so he just needed a little bit of additional support and she was happy to give that to him. So, right.
2: I think, you know, again, as with anything, in some cases, even if, you know, for, uh, if you're in a small classroom and you really know your professor, um, it may not even need to be a formal accommodation, but sometimes, again, you can have that, that, you, you sort of get that support that you need in, in some cases, too. So, so yeah, I, th- I do think, again, not for everybody, there are definitely students who still want to be in a much larger, you know, university, and I'll, you know, I'll name it a a school that I think has a very robust program that surprised me when I first heard it because I thought, wow, you know, big, big state school um and it's many it's university of arizona that has an amazing you know program special program for students with disabilities and so and i've had a number of students look at it for that very reason and um you know and again you just don't think that a really you know huge state school um and there are others university of vermont has another has a program like that as well so um you can find those services but yeah you're right i mean sometimes a smaller school just by the nature of the of the school can be can be conducive uh, For
1: students as well. So all the research that we're talking about is pretty time consuming. Um, Is there a guide that you would recommend where families can kind of start, you know, to sort of dive in and get a sense of of what levels of services are provided? Yeah, I think my
2: sort of Bible when it comes to, you know, students with disabilities, is, is it's called the K&W Guide to Students with Disabilities, um, and uh, it's you can get it on Amazon, you can usually find it um, at most libraries, your guidance counselor, the guidance office um, at your high school most, most likely will have a copy of it, um, and that really does, you know, it's a pretty comprehensive view of, you know, schools by, by services and by disability, um, So so yeah, so that would be a good, really great starting place. Um, you know, to kind of to look for schools that have both formal programs and, and, and other services, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've, uh, I know that book, too. And what I like about it is that it actually even has sort of three levels of services. So you really get a sense of sort of the minimum, the mid-range, and then kind of what the gold standard might be. Which I sure. think is handy, sure. yeah. yeah. So, what would you say? I mean, is there sort of a marker? Um, we just have two minutes left, but is there kind of like a marker of what would be a gold standard? Like, let's say it's a student who really is going to need a lot of assistance, but definitely is prepared for college. You know what? You know yeah. what kinds of services could they expect?
2: I mean, I think. There are schools, um, you know, certain schools out there. I think you know Curry College, which is in Massachusetts, is one of them where they have a really specialized curriculum, and you know, so it it, it really does go to the the high end, high level where you're meeting, you know, with with a, a counselor, and you've you've got you know a, a lot of a lot of hands on support um, to school where I think I would say a lot of students kind of go for that purpose too. So um, you know, it's a quick note to note that uh, you know the, a lot of these schools, um, their programs do you come with... It's an additional... Tuition, um, you know, it's on top of the the regular tuition, so it's something to, to factor in as you start to to plan, um, you know, the financial side of, of the equation. That a lot of these programs are um, are amazing, but they do come with with um, an extra price tag. Um, so so again, and sometimes they will have you know tutoring and weekly meetings um, with a counselor, even psychological services. You know, some schools I've even seen um, it, again going back to the Arizona's um, program, they have even things like life and ADHD coaching. So. So, you know, again, very, very high-end, very um, intensive, you know, um, services, which for many students can really be, um, you know, the, uh, the thing that, that really helps them uh, find success in college. hmm
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're out of time. So thanks so much, Julia. Well, thanks so much. Great. Thanks again for having me. Okay. Everyone, we'll now be taking a short break. And then Karen Spencer and I will be discussing questions to avoid asking an admissions officer.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in.
1: Welcome back, everyone. So, Karen is here with us, Karen Spencer. Um, Karen, I know all admission officers have had the experience of answering the same questions over and over. And those questions that make you want to roll your eyes at the question or at the student who's asking you. So let's go ahead and dig into some of those now. Like what what kind of pops up to the top of your list?
5: So there are uh, my personal, and actually I should say we polled our all of our team members, and it was so funny how many of the same questions irked us <laughs> when we were admissions officers. I, They generally fall into one of three themes. So I would say questions that are overly general, right? There's no real answer. Like you're not really answer, asking the question to get at what it is you want to know. There's questions that are, frankly, the student's responsibility to know. Like you should not be asking me this. You should already know this. Um, and then questions that don't really have an easy answer, right? It's, it's more of a kind of a value question. Um, and so those most of the things you're going to hear you and me say today, I think, fall under one of those three categories. But my personal most, the one that really irks me the most was um, how good is your fill-in-the-blank department? How good is your biology department? How good is your engineering? How good, whatever, Right. And people would probably wonder why that irked us so much, but I will say this is actually the most commonly given answer from our colleagues about questions that drove them crazy. Uh, It's because it's so big. Like, what is it? You know, I always kind of wanted to say to that student, what is it you want to know, right? Do, what, 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 are you wondering how big it is? Do you want to know how many of our professors have done work in, you know, aerodynamic engineering? That's maybe not a thing. You can tell I was not an engineer. That may not be a thing, but, um, (laughs) You know, do you want to know if there's research opportunities for freshmen? Like, what exactly is it you want to know? Right? It's, it's, it's such a broad question and you know, what what matters to one student about the biology or engineering or nursing department may not matter at all to the kids sitting next to them, right? They don't care about the size of the classroom. They just are worried about research opportunities, or they don't care about research opportunities. They just want to know, you know, if you can intern at the hospital that's on campus, or, you know, whatever. So I I it's one of those questions that I was like, what is it you are really asking me for? And also can I answer that? Right? I didn't I wasn't a biology major. And you know, a lot of admissions officers didn't even go to school at the places they worked. When I worked at Georgetown and F&M, those are two schools I didn't work at or I didn't go to a a school at. So, you know, I don't have no personal knowledge of our biology department, so I'm the wrong person to ask anyway. So I think it's overly general, and frankly, I can't answer it particularly well.
1: Exactly. Well, and I mean, the thing is, at this point, all the information or not all information you need, but there's a lot of information on every single website. And so, like, let's say a student has come in for an interview. You know, I expect them to have prepared. So I'd expect them to not say, you know, what is your biology department like or how good is your biology department? I expect them to have read about the biology department and it's come away saying, you know, this, you know, I I read about this, it looked really interesting. Is there anything else that you could tell me or maybe should I talk to a student? Like, that's a really good way to phrase that. That question. I think
5: exactly, and I and I think too. Um, yeah, it just shows a lack of preparation on the student's part, and so I think. Um, and again, you want to go to a source that can give you the best answer. I think that's always a rule of thumb too. Um, you know, am I, am I in charge of the bio department? No. Why don't you go talk to the head of the bio department? Like if this is a driver for you, go talk to the, you know, the person who can actually give you that information to answer more of your specific questions. You know, this goes Mm -hmm. in line a lot with sometimes kids that, you know, our clients will say to me, you know, when I'm going to go visit, you know, blah, blah, blah school, what should I ask the admissions officer? And I always say, well, ask them what you'd like an answer to. Like, (laughs) like, well, what do you want to know? I mean, like, be thoughtful about why you're asking a question um, and whether that person is really your best source for
1: an answer. Mm-hmm. I will say though, in defense of the students who would ask me questions that sometimes I really couldn't answer is that, that you can't always find, uh, you know, a faculty member who can answer your question. They're not always available to you. Um, but I, I definitely, enough. yeah, but I definitely always expected them, you know, especially when I was, when it came to university of Chicago, You know, do a little research first. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, especially in this day and age of, you know, all this information on (coughs) on the Internet. I mean, there's really no reason that you couldn't get at least a good working
1: knowledge of just about anything you want to know about. Mm -hmm. And so then the other category that comes to mind for me is questions that are in that can be a little insulting, and I'm going to use um, University of Chicago again as an example. I mean, Chicago is a city that's known for having a high crime rate. Um, sorry, I'm about to cough. <coughs> um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't quite as bad as when I was there, but the and I want to be clear, it's completely fine when people would ask about safety. Safety is a good question. You know, how safe is the campus? What kind of steps? Um, do you know? Do you do you as an institution take to keep your students safe? I think those are fair questions. But I remember going to a high school visit um, at a local kind of um, suburban, you know, very well-off suburban high school, and this kid raises his hand and he says, "So I've heard that Chicago University of Chicago is in like a totally ghetto neighborhood. Um, so you know, what about that?" So that is, I I was kind of, and I thought that maybe he didn't really want to be there. He wasn't interested in Chicago. And so he was just kind of trolling me with that question. Um, But then he came up after the talk and told me that Chicago was his first choice. And I remain astonished by that. So, I mean, that is. Yeah, I
5: mean, I think it's about how you phrase it. And again, how, again, you know, think about how you're coming off when you ask, you know, a question. Yeah, people would say things to us all the time that were, you know, in in Georgia, maybe something kind of anti Catholic, um, something. And again, I'm like, if you're really anti Catholic, why are you at a Catholic school? Like, like why? why, If this is a major concern of yours, why are you sitting here right now? But so, yeah, I think watching how you phrase things. Um, and, and I think really thinking ahead of time, like what would make what's the what what are you hoping to hear here, right? Like what's the what do you need to hear to feel like you've got the right answer, right? I, I'll never forget when I was at, I was sitting at a college fair once and we always, as you might recall, usually sat in alphabetical order. I was at Franklin Marshall, I was sitting next to George, uh, I was sitting next to Drexel which, and this is probably 15 years ago, was not in the best neighborhood. And somebody asked them what the neighborhood was like, and I also I was like, well, this will be good. Like, I kind of sat back and, and, and listened to a typical admissions officer, you know, kind of, spin this a little bit too you know they were talking about how they shared a uh, you know they backed up to the university of pennsylvania i was like oh good way to name drop an ivy while you're talking about yourself good job and you know they talk (laughs) about the river and that they're so close to philadelphia like in other words really didn't answer the question frankly um you know did a great job a great sales pitch of, of of kind of talking about drexel in all ways that were technically truthful without really answering the question um and i remember thinking wow that was well done um At the time, but you know, I think too. Like, what are you expecting them to say, right? If you're not in a great neighborhood, we know we're not in a great neighborhood, right? This is not. This not news to me. It's not news to you. so think about what would make, what are you asking about? Are you asking, do we have blue, what they call blue lights, blue phones? I've already forgotten the name of them. Um, you know, what, what, are, what are you hoping is there that will make you comfortable with my answer? Uh, and make sure we've actually answered the question too. Again, in this case, the person did not, I'm not throwing Drexel under the bus. I know many admissions officers who could spin an answer um, from here to Tuesday. But, uh, you know, did you get the answer, you know, that, they, that you really, the answer to a question you really asked?
1: Yeah, actually to... Um... Just to not to get too far off topic, but in terms of getting an answer that you're impressed with, I was recently at St. Louis University, which is in downtown St. Louis. And so uh, I asked the young man, you know, what kind of student wouldn't be happy here? And he actually said, you know, a student who's not comfortable in an urban environment. I love it here, but it's really, really urban and not everybody's comfortable with that. And I thought, good for you for really answering the question. Totally.
5: Yeah. I mean, I always say very direct answers, but, you know, I mean, you have to remember admissions officer on occasion is still a salesperson, right? And some are going to sell it, and some are going to give you more honest answers. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this was a student, and that in and of itself might oh, be a lesson. Oh, Okay. Yeah, mind you, he was an official tour guide, but he was still a student, and I think that students do feel, you know, comfortable being really, really direct. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So I think another question And I'm kind of sympathetic to this one um, because I'm not, it's kind of like a quick and easy way to ask it, but I'll have students, I would have students who say, is this a study school or a party school? And it's kind of a ridiculous question, but I also kind of get it. Like, have you ever had that question or variations of that?
5: Sure. Of course. You know, people will say, you know, um, and I think it almost goes to the How safe is the neighborhood too, right? It depends on what your definition of party school is or your definition of safe, right? Um, uh, everything is relative. I, I have had people ask that question. I think frankly, it's a much better question for a student than an admissions officer because it is a bit of a loaded question, frankly, right? Because depending on who's sitting in your audience, they may love or hate your answer. But, um, You know, I I would, I would rather, again, I would always ask a student and then maybe ask a few students, right? Um, Ask your tour guide, go sit and have lunch in the cafeteria. And if this is really concerning to you, ask a few students. Because again, I think in this one, you're definitely more likely to get um, a more direct answer. You know, I always say, though, to parents, um, you're going to find partiers at every kind of college and you're going to find nerdy, librarian, focused all the time kind of students at every, right? These these exist everywhere. These kinds of kind of stereotypical students exist everywhere. Um, I gave um, an example. I worked at Hope College, which is an extremely conservative place um, for just uh, less than a year. Um, but even there, where like the president was not allowed to have alcohol in his in his house because he lived on campus as a dry campus, and he abided by that. So that let me just paint a little picture for you here. Um, wow. But I ran the dorm at Hope, where like if there was a party or going on, it was all, it was always in my dorm, right? I mean, it was like the party dorm, right? So it, it's conservative conservative and a drive a campus as this was, you still had 300 kids. And I bet on any given day, 200 of them were sneaking alcohol into their dorm room, right? So it exists <laughs> kind of everywhere. I always say, like, there's no place that's truly, you know, you know all studious or all partying, right? There's always going to be a blend. It's just kind of to what level that, that pendulum um, swings is, is, you know, can, can kind of vary a little bit. But, um, you know, no school is one or the other.
1: Right. And I think, I think what you can do is kind of say, is there a typical way that students spend their weekend? You know, like try, right. because that's probably more, I mean, again, this goes back to what you, what you keep saying, which I think is a really good point. What are you really what do you really want to know? Like, are you a student who never drinks, who doesn't want to be around a drinking culture? So what's the best way to find that out? Well, usually the most of the drinking is going to take place on the weekends. What do students do? You know, how do you ask this question without sounding insulting? I mean, in all honesty, I might say, go ahead and ask, is there a big drinking culture here? What do students do to have fun who don't want to be, who don't drink, who don't want to drink? You know, like ask the question pretty directly. Right. And and right. how many well, students what percentage are there? And- would
5: you say are kids okay, are at a party on a weekend, right? Because you might think mm-hmm. 50% doesn't sound like a lot. Your parents might. But, you know, if you think 50%, you think, well, that means half the campus is not doing anything, right? If the answer is 90%, okay, that paints a slightly different picture. Again, that's one person's answer and their opinion of it. But it gives you a sense for, again, where on this spectrum, you know, this, the student body is leaning.
1: Mm -hmm. But yeah, again, really, really think about, um, you know, what what you actually want to know. So another question that um, that I used to get this at Chicago um, and read as well was, you know, what makes your school worth it? What makes your school worth the cost? And, you know, I hated that question because, again, it was like, well, I don't know what makes it worth it to you. Right. And right. also, sometimes it was said with this kind of hostility, like I was personally getting their child's tuition money. I felt like going, do you know what my salary is? I can promise you that I'm not living I'm that well. i to that, right. Yeah, like I live with roommates, you know, like that sort of thing. So it's not that anybody here is getting rich from it. Your concern about money is completely valid. But asking me to sort of kind of going, well, what makes your school worth it anyway? I mean, my response to that is, well, I you know, I don't know because it depends on what you know what your daughter needs and wants from the college i can't tell you in monetary terms that your child's going to come out and make you know 250,000 more as a result of having attended that school there is no such promise that can be made
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I would throw, I would always kind of throw, and I got that question a lot, too. And again, it's usually said with a bit of hostility, um, like we dictated the tuition prices. Um, You know, I think what I would, I would generally send it back to the the parents, and I'd say, well, what would make it worth $55,000 a year to you? Mm -hmm. Right? Because that's the question, right? This is what we call at College Coach the value proposition, right? We get this question a a lot, actually. You know, my kid got into this school, and this school, and this school is going to cost, you know, $20,000 more a year. Is it worth it? Well, I can't really answer that for you. You can't. And even then, this is somewhat of a leap of faith. And what does worth it mean? Worth it to you means that they're more likely to get a job. They're more likely to get a job at a fortune 500 company. They're more likely simply um, to one day be CEO of a company. Like, what, what are we getting at here? Like what, what would make it worth it? How do you measure that? And I think that the ultimate problem with that question is, and, and I have this discussion all the time is I know you do as well with corporate clients. Um, is there's not an ROI that's simple on a college education, right? There, you know, this is not a stock portfolio. You can't measure exact numbers. Like, if you go here, this will happen to you. It doesn't work like that, right? Uh, you know, we can show that, yes, going to college in and of itself will double your lifetime salary, right? We got plenty of evidence to show you that. But whether you get that from Bucknell or whether you get that from Harvard or you get that from the University of Missouri, is, 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 and how that changes your trajectory. That's not easily measurable, um, and I think people want that, and it's not easy. So I always say that, you know, you got to think about what you value and then put your money on the things that you value. You really value a small liberal arts college, and so you think that's worth $50,000 a year, then that may be for you a family value that's where you should put your money. You really value phenomenal research, or you really value the advanced degree, the grad school degree, and that's where you think the value is, Then that's where you should spend your money, right? Um, you know, you can do that with anything in life, right? You can... I'm, you know, I have a friend who sees, you know, expensive purses as like works of art, right? She has like a $300 Gucci purse, whereas my sister wouldn't spend more than $10 on a purse, right? Well, is that purse worth $300? Well, it depends on who you ask, right? I'm not sure there's a right answer to that question. To my friend, this is a beautiful... You know, almost icon. You know, you know, icon of art of a, just in you know fashion format. My sister's like, it is something to carry your wallet, right? Like, these are two people with very different perspective on the same item. I'm not sure either one of them is right or wrong. It's just about what they value.
1: mm Hmm. mm Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. And I think that I think that's it. So thanks so much, Karen.
5: Thank you, Sally. I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> All right, stick around, listeners, as next I'll be talking with Shannon Vasconcelos about how much to save to pay for your child's college education.
3: Become our friend on Facebook.
4: Post your thoughts
3: about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
4: Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in.
1: Hello, Shannon. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing the big bill that families will be facing for college and uh, to pay for college, I mean, and how much they should be saving.
6: That's great. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks
1: for having me, Sally. Absolutely. All right, so let's get right to the numbers. How much does college cost today?
6: A lot, (laughs) to put it bluntly. Um, If we want to dig right into the numbers, um, of course, a lot of the cost of college can vary uh, quite a bit. Um, If we're looking at kind of the big distinction in terms of cost is public colleges or private colleges. Um, Last year, the average cost of an in-state public college, uh, including tuition fees, room and board, even kind of estimates for books and supplies, really kind of an all-in cost, um, $21,000 a year, just about. Um, Average private college, about $42,000 a year. Um, so, if you do kind of the math on that, if you're thinking about, you know, how much should I save, looking at kind of an all-in, four-year cost, public college, um, probably about 85000 private college, more like one seventy. dollars um, And, again, those are national averages. A ton depends on what area of the country that you're looking in. Um, You know, both coasts tend to be much more expensive in the middle of the country, uh, probably uh, largely less expensive than than those average numbers. If you want kind of worst case scenario, the most expensive private colleges nowadays, um, colleges where I worked, I worked at Tufts University, Boston University, um, colleges like that, uh, you know, kind of in the Northeast, very selective, they're closing in on $70,000 a year nowadays, so, you know, all in for four years, quarter million, almost 300000 is what we're looking at for those most expensive schools um, in terms
1: of So, in other rate. words, it's a lot. It's out of reach of, yeah. you know, like 98% <laughs> of the population, really. So Exactly right, um, yes. Yeah. So, so, if parents wanted, so let's assume, though, that at least some of us can definitely reach that, and maybe more people then realize it, right? I mean, you hear those right. numbers and you're like, no way. But yep. um, But so if parents wanted to save enough to reach those numbers, how much should they be putting away on, say, a monthly basis?
6: Yeah, so there's actually a great calculator that I, I think listeners should check out. It's on a website that's run by the college board called bigfuture.org. They have a great college savings calculator that you might want to check out because a lot of, depends on your child's age and, uh, you know, if you're just starting, you know, when they're a sophomore in high school or you're starting when they're a newborn baby, the amount that you would need need to save on, you know, a monthly basis to get at those numbers varies tremendously. Um, But to, I guess, kind of look at the best case scenario, if you were starting when your child was a newborn baby... Uh, assuming kind of average tuition inflation, average growth on your investment, um, to save enough to have that in-state public college totally paid for, you'd probably be looking at putting away something like $400 a month for that average private college, um, more like $800 a month. And then to again look at kind of the worst case scenario, the most expensive colleges to reach that level against starting, when your child's a newborn baby, you would have to put away probably something like $1,300 per month from the time that they're born uh, if you wanted to have enough put away to pay that full sticker price of those most expensive colleges.
1: And so you're taking into account, like, how tuition is probably going to rise in the next 18 years? or Exactly are you right, taking- yes. Yeah,
6: so, you- so that's assuming kind of... What we've been seeing lately in terms of tuition inflation, now 10 years back it was a lot higher, but in the past few years it's tended to be around like 3% uh, tuition inflation per year. Um, so that's the assumption kind of built into those numbers. And then we're also assuming that you're putting your money, you're not just putting it under your mattress, you're putting it someplace where it's going to grow. Um, so also built into those estimates uh, was assuming a 6% Um, Growth on your investment annually. Um, So, of course, those assumptions may be right or wrong. None of us can see the future. Uh, But that's kind of what's built into those numbers, assuming tuition is going to increase and also that your investment is going to increase.
1: Okay. All right. So before everybody has a panic attack, though, (laughs) listening to these numbers, um, Mm -hmm. this is for full sticker price, but not everybody pays full sticker price, right?
6: Exactly right. So that is a... What I think is a big piece of good news in what is otherwise mostly kind of a bad news topic—the you know the cost of college—it doesn't please people. But what I think a lot of people don't realize—you know—they they hear those big huge numbers, they see the you know sixty seventy thousand dollars sticker prices on these colleges, and they say, "My goodness, how, how would, can anyone ever pay that?" The fact is that the vast vast majority of people. Don't pay sticker price. Um, If you look at the numbers, and this was um, calculated by the the college board. They do reports every year. Um, One of the reports is trends in student aid, looking at how much financial aid colleges are giving to to students. They found that last year at public colleges 69% of students received some type of discount in the form of a grant or a scholarship. Um, So almost 70% of students at public colleges were getting a discount. At private colleges, it's pretty staggering. Almost 90% of students at private colleges get some type of scholarship or grant discount. So, you know, when you look at those giant sticker prices on, on colleges, it's horrifying, it's scary, but you want to acknowledge the fact that Almost nobody's actually paying that full sticker price. The vast, vast majority of students are getting a discount in the form of a grant or a scholarship. Um, to put some numbers to it, the average discount at a public college um, last year was about $6,000. At private colleges, the average discount was more like $19,000 per year. Um, so it's a pretty significant um discounts um, that Mm -hmm. most people, the average student, is getting. So that's something that that people can, you know, I hope helps them breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief that you don't have to save those huge numbers because you're probably not going to be asked to pay those huge numbers.
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. All right. But even if you don't have to pay full sticker price, we're still talking you know, college isn't cheap. The numbers are pretty yeah. big mm-hmm. even with a moderate discount. So yep. what do you tell people who are still scared off by the price of college?
6: Yeah, and that's absolutely right. Even with the discounts for most people, college is its not going to be easy to pay for college. Um, but one thing that people should acknowledge is that your savings Isn't your only source of funding to help pay whatever the college does ask you to pay? You know, it doesn't all have to be sitting in a savings account ready to go. Um, You know, if you talk about, you know, the price of real estate, the price of a house, you know, that would be extremely frightening. Uh, You know, there are big numbers there, but... For the the most part, I suppose there are a few people that just pay for a house out of their savings, out of pocket. They save up to buy a house. Most people may save up for a down payment. They they're not assuming they're going to pay the full price of the um, of the house right out of their savings. And when you start talking about college costs that are close to the price of a house, I think that you may want to start thinking the same way. If you can afford to save. The, the you know the full price of college. Fantastic, your life is going to be a whole lot less stressful. But for most people, that's not feasible. So think about. All the different ways that you can, in fact, pay for college. So, you can pay some out of your savings. And again, the more you have in your savings, the better, the less stressful your life's going to be. But you can also pay out of your cash flow just on a monthly payment plan to the college. Almost every college nowadays does offer a monthly payment plan. So, you know, you budget to cover some of the college bill just out of your paycheck, the way you pay all your other bills. Um, so, maybe you pay a fraction out of your savings, maybe a fraction out of your cash flow. And then there's always loans that you can borrow to cover college as well. Obviously, you want to minimize the amount that you have to borrow, but the loans are always available to cover whatever you're short. Um, so, you know, you, the goal is to save whatever you can, but if it's not enough to totally pay for college, don't worry about it. That's going to be the case for almost everybody. So you just figure out what what you can manage to pay out of your savings and then what you can manage to pay out of your cash flow and then whatever is left you may have to borrow. And I think that... Getting started saving, even if you're not going to save at all, getting into the habit of saving is really, really useful in order to be able to pay eventually some out of your cash flow and um, be able to finance loan payments when the time comes. You know, if you were able to, if you were starting to save, you know, let's just say $500 a month for your child when they're in high school. You know, you you end up with a nice chunk of change in your savings, but then you've also gotten yourself used to doing without $500 a month of your paycheck. So that's $500 a month that you can easily now pay towards the tuition bill. So, you know, if you kind of do the math out if that's five hundred dollars a month, that's six thousand dollars a year that you can easily pay out of your cash flow. So that's over four years, that's twenty four thousand that you don't have to have saved in advance because you can afford to pay it right out of your paycheck every month without really adjusting your lifestyle at all because you're already used to doing without that money. And then again, if you kinda of follow through the timeline, that's five hundred dollars a month that you can now easily make towards loan payments after Um, after the student graduates. So getting in the habit of savings, it, number one, gets you a nice chunk of change that's going to make your life easier, but it also gets you used to doing without a chunk of your cash flow that's going to make paying those college bills a whole lot easier.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, just psychologically, just that money's not yours. It's already earmarked. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so what do you tell someone whose finances are tapped about saving for college? There's really nothing left at the end of the month, um, is mm-hmm. there anything that they can do?
6: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess there's sort of there's two ways to approach this and, and potentially two different situations. So if there's nothing left at the end of the month, why is that? Um, so is that because... Um, are you making a very decent living? You're just spending your money on other things. Um, and if that's the case, you know, I'd definitely recommend, you know, doing up a budget, figuring out where your money is actually going each month and is it going to the things that are important to you. You know, if college is a priority for you and for your family, then you want to make sure that it's a priority in your budget um, and you want to find some cash flow for it. Now, if you're in the situation that there's no money month at the Money left at the end of the month because you're really kind of in a hard economic situation. Maybe somebody's out of work or working on reduced hours, or somebody has an expensive, you know, medical problem, or you know, there could be a thousand different things where you just really don't have a whole lot of discretionary income. Um, even in that case, I think it's still possible to save something for college. You know, even if you don't have a lot of money available, kind of on a regular monthly basis, to be putting into the college savings account. Um, most of us do come across money, you know, now and then that we could filter into that college fund. Um, you know, I, I talk to parents of young kids a lot who have kids in daycare, and daycare is hugely expensive, and they don't have a lot at the end of the month to go to college savings. But when that daycare ends, all that money that had been going to daycare, you could now devote that to the the college fund. Um, if you're paying off your own student loans, if you're paying off credit cards, again, when those expenses end, think about redirecting that cash flow into the college fund. If you get an annual raise, keep living like you didn't get the raise and put that extra money in the college fund. Uh, if you get a bonus at the end of the year, if you get a tax refund, you know, that's money you're used to doing without, that can go into the college fund. Um, for, for folks who happen, this is, like, my favorite little tip. It's not a big deal, but I love it. For folks who might get paid on a bi weekly basis, like you and I do, Sally, I know, um, mm-hmm. you, folks, like, if you're in that situation, you may have noticed that there are a couple times a year where you get three paychecks instead of two. I now, I love those paychecks. I mark them on my calendar when I'm going to get a magic check is what I call them. That's just an extra paycheck. You're used to living on two paychecks. You get a third one in a month, throw that right into the college savings fund. Also ask family members for gifts for, you know, holidays and birthdays instead of, you know, toys and video games and what have you. Ask them for contributions to the college fund. So there are ways to come up with money, you know, kind of now and then. Even if you can't save on a regular basis, there are ways to start building up that college fund. Um if you just cognizant of college savings and keep that as a, as a priority when you do come across extra money.
1: Okay, great. Um, well, we've run out of time, Shannon, but thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
6: You're very welcome.
1: And thanks so much to my other guests today, Julia Jones and Karen Spencer. Next week, Ian Fisher will be the guest host, and he will be taking a look inside the Reed College admission process and answer listener questions with a college finance consultant from College Coach. Finally, I want to remind you that every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. You can also download them for free on iTunes. Uh, You can check out our, our, our archives, and you'll find all our past shows on there. Um, And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time, and it's absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.